Trainingport.net presents Business Aviation Training Report. Hello and welcome to the Business Aviation Training Report, a monthly survey of events in the business aviation world. I'm your host, Brent Fishlock. This podcast is produced by the leader in online training for business aviation, trainingport.net. We link the business aviation news of the day with the training needs of business operators, management, their support staff, maintainers, and pilots. We want to discuss topics that are important to business aviation professionals. So please send us your questions, comments, and suggestions at podcast at trainingport.net. That's podcast at trainingport.net. Hello, aviation professionals, and welcome to podcast nine in our series titled New North Atlantic Contingency Procedures. Today's topic comes from ICAO's North Atlantic Systems Planning Group, or NAT SPG, that publishes the NAT Ops Bulletin. NAT Ops Bulletin 2018-005 was issued on the 17th of December 2018 and is titled Special Procedures for In-Flight Contingencies in Oceanic Airspace. The new procedures become effective on the 28th of March, 2019. I will be relying heavily on the text of the bulletin, and in many cases, I will be reading directly from it. The procedures are specific, so clarity is best maintained by using the ICAO terminology. As I said, these procedures become effective in the North Atlantic region on the 29th of March, 2019, in the Shanwick, Gander, and Santa Maria Oceanic Control Areas. Also occurring on the 29th of March this year is the trial of Advanced Surveillance Enhanced Procedural Separation, or ACEPS. This trial uses ADS-B in the Shanwick, Gander, and Santa Maria Oceanic Control Areas, as do the new contingency procedures. There is a NatOps bulletin for this new separation trial as well. I'll put the link in the show notes. So these procedures will not apply anywhere else in oceanic airspace for now. There is commentary online, however, that ICAO plans to create a single global oceanic contingency procedure in November 2020, which would be a great idea. Also, the new contingency procedures and ACEPS trial does not change current strategic lateral offset procedures, or SLOP. If I were to summarize the changes, they revolve around the initial turn, which is at least 30 degrees, and the distance to offset, which is only 5 nautical miles. Also, course reversal is not permitted until the aircraft is below flight level 290. The separation distance between aircraft in the North Atlantic has been decreasing due to increasing navigation accuracy. Therefore, this procedure keeps the aircraft closer to its originally cleared track and flying in the same direction until descent to flight level 290 is complete. The blanket safety statement by OKO is that the pilot shall take action as necessary to ensure the safety of the aircraft and the pilot's judgment shall determine the sequence of actions to be taken, having regard to the prevailing circumstances. ATC will be expecting you to follow certain procedures unless you are unable. This podcast summarizes some of those new procedures. Why would a flight crew require the use of a contingency procedure in the first place? Some examples include weather deviation, which uses a slightly different procedure explained later, medical emergency, unruly passenger, pressurization failure, engine failure, a fire, 
significant reduction in the required navigation capability when operating in an airspace where the navigation performance accuracy is a prerequisite to the safe conduct of flight operations, such as RMP4 airspace. Of course, there are others. ICAO says that if an aircraft is unable to continue the flight in accordance with its ATC clearance, a revised clearance shall be obtained whenever possible prior to initiating any action. If you can't get a clearance or you don't have time to get one before you initiate maneuvers, then follow these procedures in the North Atlantic starting March 28, 2019. Leave the cleared route or track by initially turning at least 30 degrees to the right or to the left. The procedure is to intercept a parallel track in the same direction that is 5 nautical miles offset. The direction of the turn should be based on one or more of the following. Aircraft position relative to the organized track or route system. The direction of aircraft and flight levels allocated on adjacent tracks. The direction to an alternate airport any strategic lateral offset being flown, and terrain clearance. The aircraft should be flown at a flight level and an offset track where other aircraft are less likely to be encountered. Maintain a watch for conflicting traffic both visually and by reference to ACAS. Leave ACAS in RA mode at all times unless aircraft operating limitations dictate otherwise. Turn on all exterior lights, again commensurate with any operating limitations. Keep the transponder on at all times and when able squawk 7700 as appropriate. As soon as practicable the pilot shall advise air traffic control of any deviation from the assigned clearance. Use whatever means is appropriate, i.e. voice CPDLC to communicate during the contingency procedure. If voice communication is used, the distress signal mayday or urgency signal pan pan spoken three times shall be used. When emergency situations are communicated via CPDLC, the controller may respond via CPDLC. However, the controller may also attempt to make voice contact with the aircraft. Next step, establish communications with and alert nearby aircraft by broadcasting at suitable intervals on 121.5 MHz or as a backup on the interpilot air-to-air -air frequency 123.45 MHz. Broadcast the following. Aircraft identification. The nature of the distress condition. Intentions. Position, including the ATS route designator or track code, as appropriate. And flight level. And finally, the controller will attempt to determine the nature of the emergency and ascertain any assistance that may be required. If possible, maintain the assigned flight level until established on the 5 nautical mile parallel, same direction track or route offset. If unable, initially minimize the rate of descent as much as possible. Okay, aviation professionals, let's change gears for a moment. In the News is a segment of the podcast where I talk about other happenings in business aviation. This time, I'll read a report submitted to the ASRS website titled, Hazardous Air Quality. A CRJ-200 was de-iced prior to departure, and the taxi out was uneventful. The departure took a turn for the worst when cockpit and cabin air quality quickly deteriorated. The first officer wrote, We had the aircraft de-iced and anti-iced at the gate, with engines off and AP running. It was snowing at the time. After an uneventful taxi out and run-up of the engines, we departed. The takeoff profile was uneventful until a couple hundred feet off the ground. I noticed a burning smell coming from the vents. 
The captain called out this burning smell as well and mentioned that it smelled like burning de-ice anti-ice fluid. After a couple more hundred feet in our climb, the cockpit quickly filled with white smoke. The flight attendant also called us via the emergency button. She notified me that the cabin was quickly filling with smoke as well. We turned off the packs as the obvious corrective action to stop the smoke. After doing this, the smoke began clearing and we finished our takeoff profile. At 4,000 feet, the captain transferred the controls to me. I coordinated with approach to return to the field, create time to run checklists, and set up for the approach. The captain ran the QRH procedure, talked to the flight attendant, and briefed the passengers. At this time, the smoke had completely dissipated, and we returned to normal procedures. The captain briefed the approach, and then I transferred the controls back to him to fly the approach. The approach and landing were uneventful. Emergency vehicles did an exterior inspection of the aircraft after clearing the runway and then followed us to the gate. The first officer continued by saying, De-ice anti-ice fluid was sprayed too closely to the APU inlet. Maybe we should remind the de-ice crew to avoid the APU inlet, especially when we are at the gate and de-icing anti-icing with the engines off. Business aircraft operate to many airports using many different de-ice crews. It's a good idea to ensure the ICE crew knows the plan and is familiar with your type of aircraft. Okay, back to the podcast. So in the contingency procedure, we have completed the five nautical mile offset and still have no clearance. The following actions are to be taken once you are established offset. If you need to descend, then descend below flight level 290 and then establish a 500 foot vertical offset from those flight levels normally used and proceed as required by the operational situation. Or, if you are not descending, then establish a 500-foot vertical offset or 1,000-foot vertical offset if above flight level 410 for those flight levels normally used and proceed as required by the operational situation. Or, if an ATC clearance has been obtained, proceed in accordance with the clearance. ICAO says that descent below flight level 290 is considered particularly applicable in operations where there is a predominant traffic flow, i.e. east-west, or parallel track system where the aircraft's diversion path will likely cross adjacent tracks or routes. A descent below flight level 290 can decrease the likelihood of conflict with other aircraft, ACAS-RA events, and delays in obtaining a revised ATC clearance. Something to consider is that an altimetry system error may lead to less than actual 500-foot vertical separation when the procedure is applied. ICAO has developed an excellent visual aid for understanding and applying the new contingency procedures. It can be found in the Ops Bulletin as well as in our trainingport.net newsletter. I said earlier that the weather deviation procedure is slightly different. When a weather deviation is required, the pilot should initiate communications with ATC via voice or CPDLC. A rapid response may be obtained by using the phraseology weather deviation required to indicate that priority is desired on the frequency. The crew can also request weather deviation using a CPDLC message. When necessary, the pilot should initiate the communications using the urgency call PAN-PAN spoken three times or by using a CPDLC urgency downlink message. So here are the actions to be taken if a revised ATC clearance cannot be obtained and a weather deviation is required. If possible, deviate away from an organized track or route system. 
Establish communications with and alert nearby aircraft by broadcasting on 121.5 or 123.45. Watch for conflicting traffic both visually and by reference to ACAS. Turn on all exterior lights. For deviations of less than 5 nautical miles from the originally cleared track, remain at the level assigned by ATC. For deviations greater than or equal to 5 nautical miles from the originally cleared route, when the aircraft is approximately 5 nautical miles from the cleared track, initiate a level change in accordance with Table 15-1 of the bulletin. I use the memory hook Climb to the Equator for these L2 changes. So if you are flying eastbound in the northern hemisphere and you deviate to the right, which is towards the equator, you would climb 300 feet. If you deviated to the left, it would be a descent of 300 feet. Here's a scenario. What if you need to deviate for weather? You get a clearance and comply with it. Then you need to deviate again, but you cannot get a clearance for the second deviation. ICAO says that if a pilot receives clearance to deviate from cleared track for a specified distance and subsequently requests but cannot obtain a clearance to deviate beyond that distance, the pilot should apply an altitude offset in accordance with Table 1 of the Bolton, which is the Climb to the Equator table. However, in this case, you should climb or descend before deviating beyond the cleared distance. This is something to keep in mind. Okay, so the weather deviation is now complete and you are going back to the original track. You must be at the assigned flight level when the aircraft is within 5 nautical miles of the center line. If at any time the pilot determines that there is another aircraft at or near the same flight level with which a conflict may occur, then the pilot is expected to adjust the path of the aircraft as necessary to avoid conflict. As I said, these procedures become effective in the North Atlantic region on the 29th of March 2019 in the Shanwick, Gander, and Santa Maria Oceanic Control areas. I'll put links in the show notes and read our newsletter for more information. Thanks very much for listening. That's our podcast for today. Podcast notes will be posted on our blog at trainingport.net slash podcast. We aim to discuss topics that are relevant to business aviation professionals and we would love to hear your suggestions for future podcasts. You can email us at podcast at trainingport.net. That's podcast at trainingport.net. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. Subscribe to this podcast so you'll never miss an episode. This podcast is brought to you by trainingport.net, leader in online business aviation training. I'm your host, Brent Fishlock. Have a great day and thank you for listening to Business Aviation Training Report. For more information on each episode, visit us at www.trainingport.net slash podcast. Trainingport.net, helping business aviation professionals excel.